All right, and good morning, Ridge Point Church. I'm trying to figure out what string it was David hit that made that thunder clap like that. <laughs> I tried to learn guitar before. They never showed me that one, so it's pretty cool. Uh, listen, uh, we're glad you're here. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Everybody turn to the person next to you, give them a fist bump, and say, this is a lousy hug. <laughs> Man. <laughs> But we are glad that you're here as we're on week two of this series where we're asking people to uh, shut up for just a second and, and hug somebody. We'll get to what that all this is about in just a second. First of all, I know they already shared this, but for everyone who took part in the great double date night experiment yesterday, uh, first of all, I, I know some people that are proudly wearing their extra accessories. Uh, that's awesome. We had a great time last night. Really cool event. Uh, we're looking to do something again later on, kind of the, the third in a trilogy of events. We're going to involve the whole family. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, but also, just because this just kind of happened, we're not going to uh, announce this, but I want to mention this, is, is if you're a part of the group that signed up for Habitat, uh, being part of building a home in Auburndale, we just found out the information yesterday. An email went out from Ron yesterday about the schedule. He needs people to respond to that fairly quickly so we can start to put together the teams. If you don't know what that's about, we're building a house in Auburndale. If you want to be a part of that, we're working with Habitat for Humanity. Let us know that on a connection card today. Uh, we have the full schedule. The entire build is planned out now. So we need people to start filling in some of those holes. So if you're part of that team, email Ron. Let him know about your availability. If you're not and want to, let us know. We'll get you in contact with him. So today we're on week two of, of this series. We're calling, every, we're calling for everybody to, to just quiet down for a second. When the Bible talks about this idea that we're supposed to uh, be quick to listen and slow to speak, the idea is that there are people in life who we're not always going to agree with. And, and that's how it's always going to be. There are people that we agree with, people that we, don't, that we don't agree with. But just because we don't agree with you doesn't mean we can't listen to you. And it definitely doesn't mean we can't love you. And it seems like in our culture, we've become so divided, we've become so different from each other that we say, if I don't agree with you, if we don't dot our I's exactly the same or cross our T's exactly the same, that, then you and I, we can't even like hang out and, 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 and love each other. And, and because, because if we have these differences, you must be my enemy. And the truth is, Jesus comes into a world that is just as divided as our world, and he comes with this new command. And so today, we're going to kind of talk about this idea about how Sin has a tendency to multiply. It's been that way from the very beginning. But sin has a tendency to multiply in our world and in our lives. And what do we do in this divided world? Uh, to begin, I want to share a little bit of a story from my childhood. And, and that I grew up in a, in a home where we didn't really recognize color a whole lot. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that we, didn't, we were colorblind or anything like that. But just that when it came to races, we didn't really recognize race. I think it's a product of my mom grew up in New York City, which is this beautiful melting pot of, of different cultures, and she coached basketball in Spanish Harlem, and, and when they moved down to Florida, we lived in St. Pete, I, I grew up in the same home my whole life, and my, my next door neighbor was Cuban, the people that lived directly across us over the back fence, pause for a second, I'm going to get to that part in just a second, but before I do that, what happened to talking to people over the back fence? Like, I grew up, and we knew all of our neighbors all around us. Today, we've become so divided. I'm like, man, now we don't have anybody who lives directly behind us, so we can't really uh, identify with that. But, but for the most part, we've stopped having those conversations. Life got so busy that we kind of, we want to live in these communities where we get isolated from each other, and we stop having these conversations. But for us, we knew the people lived kind of catty-corner to us over the back fence. Uh, the mother was Portuguese. The dad was Japanese. 
And so we literally lived in this community that was very, very diverse in the middle of St. Pete. Because of that, people coming through our house tend to be every different uh, race under the sun. It was, it was kind of a really cool place to grow up. We would gather together because my next-door neighbor was Cuban. Every holiday, he'd have a pig roast in his backyard, and the whole community would show up, and it was this really, really cool thing. And so for us, we didn't necessarily grow up even, even having discussions about race, and, and we definitely never had anybody talk using derogatory terms about race. And that's why when I was eight years old, and my football coach chose to use a word that was derogatory about another team, I didn't know what it meant. And we were at practice, and he says this term, and I didn't know what it meant, and it was this derogatory word. And, and so we get done with practice. And I kind of, I don't know what happened. I guess I processed that. I didn't know what it meant. And, and the next day, we're driving to the next day's football practice. On the way to football practice, I'm talking to my little brother, not knowing what that word was. And we're driving, and I said this word to my brother. Now, my mom was really old school at this point. She grew some grace later on in her life, but at this point, she was no nonsense. And so she's driving on the middle of this very, very busy road in the middle of Pinellas Park, one of the busiest roads in Pinellas County. And she's driving, and she hears me say this word, and she slams on the brakes and stops the car. And like cars are flying by us, and mom does not care. Mom turns around and says, where did you hear that term? And I said, well, Coach Joe said it. My mom made sure that day that JJ had ever repeated that word again. <laughs> and on top of that, mom made sure that Coach Joe never repeated that term in our proximity again. She said, listen, we're not having any of that. And yet we know that we live in a world today that because of the differences in our world, we've become so divided. And so I want to, as we get into this this morning, we're going to look at some different scripture. And, and by the time we kind of really, really get into this, I want to ask you a very, very pertinent question about how do we love in this difficult world? I'll get that question fleshed out a little bit more in just a second. If you hear last week, we talked about this idea that Jesus came into a world that was just as difficult to live in. There's already growing political tension. There's already growing racial tension. And so because of that, he's, he's living in this world, and he's saying, listen, I know how the law was given, and I know there are people who, who love the law, and they, they obey the law. They've even become experts in the law, but there's still political turmoil. There's still racial tension. We still have to deal with this. So we mentioned this at the outset of the series last week, that Jesus comes and says, I'm going to give a new command. And when I give this new command... It's not that I've come to, to totally do away with the old law, but I am, he says, I am going to make that old law obsolete because the new command is to answer the question why as much as it does what. And I think that's important for us because there are people who'd figure out the what of the law and they could follow the letter of the law to the T. They had it all figured out and they'd pat themselves on the back and say, look at how good we look because we think we have this figured out. Over in the book of Hebrews... Chapter 8, verse 13, it talks about the difference between the New Covenant, the New Testament, and the Old Covenant from the Old Testament. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13, it says this, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. He says, listen, the old covenant that we had, all of the laws, they were good. In fact, the New Testament calls them holy and just and good. But he says all of those things are becoming obsolete. They're becoming old, and they're ready to vanish away. Because when Jesus comes, he says, I come to bring this new command. The verse we read last week was in John chapter 13, verse 34. But it says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. 
And he says, this is it. If you want to get this, it's why he could whittle the 611 commands in the Old Testament down to two, love God and love people. If you do those two things, then you have the why figured out, and the what just begins to take care of itself. You see, the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments were our relationship with God. If I love God, I'm going to try to observe those four things. It's not that I'm going to be perfect, I'm not. But my heart is going to be, God, I want to do my very best for you. And if I love people, which in our locale and our, our situation is becoming more and more difficult, it seems. But if I genuinely love people, then the other six commands that have to do with how I relate to them and not killing them and not, mur- and not stealing from them and not committing adultery and all those things, if I genuinely love people, then I'm going to observe those other six. And he says, I could sum up all of the laws and all of the commands with this new command. Love God. Love people. Love one another as I have loved you. And later on in that same verse, he says, by this the world's going to know that you genuinely believe my teachings, that you're genuinely disciples of me by the love that you have one for another. So we look at that and we say, okay, I get that. Like, I I understand and and I love that. And last week as we began talking about the birth of sin and its effects, we saw how quickly that idea of sin became rampant and started to spread. And because of that, there was the need for the law to take place. And it wasn't very long until the sin begins to multiply. Adam and Eve introduced sin to the world. We can never diminish the effects of that sin. Like, that was a big deal when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, that brought sin for all of us. But really, when we talk about, like, from a human perspective, like, eating from the tree, even though we know the effect was huge, we think, well, that's not really that big a deal. But the next generation, their sons, Cain, kills Abel. We look at that and say, how did it multiply so quickly from from a sin? Even though its effect was huge, in in, in the general scheme of things, it doesn't seem all that bad to, to murder, which is about as bad as it gets. Sin has this tendency in our lives to multiply, and because of that, once the sin starts to multiply, it, it, starts to, it starts to spread, it starts to have a greater effect in our life, and it starts to affect the relationships that we have with one another. And today I want to talk about this question. I want to talk about four different things, about how do we love in a world that does these things. And there's four different things we're going to talk about, two that are timeless, two that are things we're going to look at at Scripture and say, man, they were dealing with this way back then, thousands of years ago. And there are two that I think are, they might have always have been there, but there are two that are especially pertinent, I think, in today's day and age, things that we deal with that, that maybe we're dealing with in, in even a deeper way than they've ever dealt with before. But the first one, uh, it doesn't take long for sin to start to spread. If you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 11, and we see the the diversity that starts to, to take place in the world and how that starts to, to change the way the world relates to each other. One of, I think one of the challenges that we face today is, is just the diversity of life. And, and if you don't come from the same section of the world as me, and if you don't talk like me or, or look like me, there's a difference there. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. Prior to this, now the whole earth had one language and the same word. So up until this point, everyone's speaking the same language. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. 
And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they will propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse the language, so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off the building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over all the face of the earth. So literally what happens, you're trying to build this, this tower, this massive tower up into the heavens and think we can rely upon our own strength and our own ability. And at some point, if we can do all this ourselves, we're going to leave God out of the equation. And God says, I know this seems like it could be a healthy thing, but it could also be a destructive thing. And so I'm going to come down into the situation and I'm going to bring confusion. And because of that, we have the confusion of the languages. Now, people started to speak different languages, and as soon as they started to speak different languages, what naturally happened was they started to classify themselves based upon the people that they understood. And so they started to break out into these groups, and they started to to say, "I, I no longer can identify because we can't speak the same languages. And literally from that point on, because of the confusion and because of geography, there started to be this separation there started to be this, this difference that was taking place, and there started to be diversity. There's another story. If you have your Bible, slip over to Genesis chapter 37. We're not going to read for time. We're not going to read the whole story, but I want to read a couple of these verses. In Genesis chapter 37, there are 12 brothers, and the youngest of the brother, his name is Joseph. And he's the one who's favored by his father, He's shown favoritism, and, and the other brothers are kind of taking aim at him, saying, we don't particularly care for the way that he's treated, and then when, he, when we go and do something we shouldn't, he's going and kind of tattling on us and getting us in trouble, and, and so we don't like this about him. And so right away, it says in Genesis chapter 37, verse 4, it says this, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his other brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peacefully to him. I don't want you to raise your hand on this one. Now, sometimes I say that and people kind of like, I ask the question, people raise their hand anyway because they're not, they don't think. But, but I, wanna, I want you to ponder this question. Do some of you right now have family members that there's so much conflict that you've stopped speaking? I think probably most of us could either say, yeah, there's someone in my life I've stopped speaking to or there's someone I know that we used to be really close. I can think of someone in our family the kind of the whole family, because of some very volatile situations, has kind of, he's ostracized himself from the entire family. Here it says that all of the brothers hated this one brother, and they hated him so much that they could not speak peacefully to him. Every conversation was filled with turmoil. Well, it doesn't take very long until God starts giving him dreams about what the future is going to hold, and he starts to share those dreams with his brothers. He says, hey, in this one dream I had, all the sheaves of, the other, of these other brothers all bowed down to my sheaves. Look at how important I am. And over in verse 8, it says this. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. He finally shares another dream. This other dream, he says that there are all the stars, these 11 stars, and the sun and the moon, and all the stars, the sun and the moon, they bow down to him. 
Now, I'm thinking at some point it would have been wise for Joseph just to shut up about these dreams. <laughs> like, it's like, your brother's already mad at you. Let me make matters worse. But he tells this dream that, that God gave him, and it says down in verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. God was literally revealing what was going to happen in the future through these dreams. But because of what was taking place, we see first there's diversity that brings conflict in our world. And then later on, we see that there's division. Because of what was taking place, the brothers said, we hate you. We hate you. And we're jealous of you. And all of these emotions, all of these differences start to get in our way. And, and we say, well, that makes it really, really tough. Which is why when we talk about a series like this, everyone can identify with, with this. I, after last week's message, I had people beforehand saying, man, I'm really excited about this series. And after the message, right after first service, second service in church, people came up. I was getting emails. I was having people send me text messages about, hey, man, we really need this in our culture today. And I agree with that 100%. That's kind of why we're talking about this. But here's the thing. For every one of us, we say, I want to get this right. But for, for most of us, we suck at this. We say, man, I, I want to nail this and I, and I want to do right. And, and we hear this message series and we say, yeah, I want to do that. I want to get that right. So why is this so challenging? The flaws I see in others, I rarely recognize in myself. I can go and I can watch on TV and I can see, man, I can't believe that that happened in that situation. If it was me, I wouldn't have done it. It's because the spotlight of the world is on that situation and the spotlight of the world might not be on my unique situation. And so because of that, I don't realize sometimes that, that my word choice or the way I treat people around me, I think, well, I'm the exception to all these rules because my situation is different. And Jesus says, here's the command, love one another. As I have loved you. He didn't come in and say, well, JJ, I'm going to love everybody else, but I know the flaws in your life. And so because of the flaws in your life, my love does not translate to your life. He didn't say that, and yet we do that. We say, I want to give love to people who are going to reciprocate that love. Because one of the greatest, if not the greatest, human desire is not to love, but to be loved. Even people asked this question at the end of last week's message. I said, how many people are huggers and how many people are, are not huggers? And, and some people are like, listen, I, just, I have my space. I don't want people crowding my space. And yet for every one of us, there's, there's this built-in desire. Man, I want to be loved in my life. But in order to be loved, I have to be willing to love. That's just kind of the way that this whole thing works. So the question we're asking today is this. How do I love in a world that is becoming increasingly diverse, divided, distracted, and disconnected? Let me mention those four terms again. How do I love in a world that is increasingly diverse, divided, distracted, and disconnected? We see this and we say, this is not unique. This is the world that Jesus lived in. But it seems like more and more because of the effects of, of sin and the stuff that's taking place that our world is getting increasingly diverse, divided, distracted, and disconnected. And because of that, especially those last two, which are the timely ones, it is making it harder and harder for us to, to love. And in turn, it's harder for us to be loved. Let's tackle each one of those real quickly. Let's talk first 
about diversity. It's interesting, in studying of this topic, I read a lot of people's comments, especially going back to this, the first scripture we read, the Tower of Babel, and they said, well, it was there that the languages were spread out, and, and some people said it was during that season that they got also changed the races, and people had different races at that point. Uh, the Bible never says that. There's some people's speculation. Others have speculated that it wasn't so much that moment, but the effects, they went to different parts of the world, and because of that, over time, uh, their skin color changed. Regards of that, you know what is totally silent on this topic? You know what never mentions race at all? is the Bible. The Bible mentions race when it comes to nations and people groups, but in terms of skin color, the Bible never comments on that. In fact, when it comes to the Bible, there's really one race, the human race. But yet, by the, and it's not that racism wasn't a, a, a big deal, because by the time Jesus comes into the world, there's already this separation, there's this anger between different groups of people, and in particular, there's a story There's two people groups that don't care for each other at all, the Jewish people and the Samaritans. They're not supposed to have any relationship, any conversation at all. These two groups are in direct polar opposition to each other, which is why Jesus comes up to this woman at the well. She's a Samaritan woman. And he comes up to the woman at the well, and he speaks to her, and she's shocked because the Jewish culture should have said that no... Jewish person would speak to a Samaritan, let alone no Jewish man should speak to a Samaritan woman. So she's shocked that Jesus would even speak to her, let alone that Jesus would use her as an instrument to start to reveal to himself, to the world as to who he was. And he starts to explain all those prophecies you've heard, they're being fulfilled right now in front of you. And she runs back to her people and she says, I've come to experience who the Messiah is. Because Jesus chose to break those racial barriers, to break those, those cultural barriers at least. And say, let me go in to have conversations with people that, by the way, they don't necessarily think the same way that I think. They don't worship the same way. She actually mentions that we don't worship the same way. And she says, but I'm going to break down some of those barriers because in the midst of a diverse world, I can step into the middle ground. I can step away from where I'm comfortable. I can step away from my corner of the world. And I come to the middle ground and find a place for us to realize what love is about. Jesus does his teaching. And and Peter would have grown up in this world where there was this cultural divide. And he would have grown up having been taught that this was healthy, that this was good. Which is why his words, a little bit later in the story of, of the spread of the message of Christianity and of Jesus, his words in the, in, in the book of Acts, in the history of the early church, are so telling because at some point, if you know this about Peter, we're going to see this about Peter, Peter was the one who, at times, he nailed it in such a powerful way. You're like, yes, Peter got it. And at times, he would fail in a miserable way. The same one that stepped out of the boat to walk on the water. We're like, man, Peter got it. It's the one who looks around and sees the water rising and he starts to sink. And we said, Peter, you you didn't get it. There's a point where Peter gets it. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, watch this. This is is so beautiful and, and brilliant. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said this. Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. 
He's saying, I realize that there's no respecter of persons. It, it doesn't matter what background you come from. It doesn't matter uh, what, what walk of life, the things that you had in your life, the things you didn't have in your life, what race, those things don't matter. He says, truly I know that there's no partiality with God. Verse 35 says, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. In every nation. He says, listen, if we want to tackle this issue of diversity, he says in every nation, it doesn't matter where we're comfortable or what we, what we like. In every nation, if, if we fear God, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And yet, sometimes, I was being honest, sometimes the church is hid behind the Bible and said, and said racist things because the Bible, the Bible doesn't teach that at all. And Peter comes and says, of every nation. If people fear God, they're going to be acceptable to him. Watch this. Because the one who gets it right also gets it wrong. We tackle the topic of diversity, but we also tackle the topic of division. Whether it's because of diversity and the racism that sometimes is attached to it, or if it's jealousy because of the brothers or, or any other reason, we have a tendency in our lives to allow the methods of what we do to distract us from the message that we have. We all have a certain way we like to do things. We have a way that, that maybe we were raised that kind of becomes our comfort zone. I'm not saying that we're not going to have differences. At times we should be able to celebrate those differences. But what happens is if, if my, the things that I like, I grew up in, in, in just kind of the way that I was raised. My brother and I, we love sports, and so I played a lot of sports. And so I had a tendency to hang out with people who played sports. There's nothing wrong with that. We should celebrate our differences and say, hey, man, I, I really like this about my life. But if I get so stuck in my corner over here and say, I'm only going to talk to people who like sports. And, and even though this is kind of my tribe that I grew up with, it's so easy for something to go from my preferences to my clique. And that's where things get dangerous. It's when the only people I realize are the people that are just like me, the only people I listen to are the people that think like me, the only people that I love are the people that look like me, that I start to do these things very, very wrong. Peter got it right when he spoke in the book of Acts. But later on, the apostle Paul himself has to correct him. See, it seemed like as Peter starts to go out, they actually had a council that met to say, hey, how do we deal with this? The gospel's going out to the Gentiles, and they're kind of different than us, and, and they had this whole council that met, and they had it figured out. But pretty soon, there started to be rumors among the believers, enough so that Paul says, I think there's something to substantiate these rumors. I have to go and talk to him. See, here's what was happening was, was Peter was going, and, he, and he, if, it, because the message was going out at this point to everybody, Jewish people, Gentile people, people from every nation was receiving the message. And as the message goes out, Peter's like, man, I love this. When I'm out with the Gentiles, when I'm out with people that are not Jewish, I'm hanging out with the Gentiles, I'm eating with them because I know I have freedom to be able to do that. Prior to Jesus, he didn't believe that. But because of Jesus, I can eat with these people who are, who are not exactly like me, and that's okay. But if he's hanging out with a, with a Gentile church where it's just Gentiles, he'd eat with them. But if Jewish people were present, and we don't know if he was doing this consciously or subconsciously, but when Jewish people were, were present, he'd find himself going back to hey, hang out with my Jewish friends here. Enough so that Paul says we have to address this and deal with this because that's not what the gospel's about. Peter, you nailed it. Peter, you failed it. 
And that's our life sometimes. There's sometimes, man, we get this really, really right. And there's other times we said, I didn't intend to, like I meant to love, I meant to do this right, but I find myself gravitating towards those same uh, issues of, of depending on people that, that think and look and talk just like me. And Jesus says, but the gospel's for everyone. And if our methods get in the way of our message, it's wrong. Peter's methods, hanging out with his people, there's nothing wrong with him sitting and talking to his friends. But his methods were starting to interrupt his message. And it got in the way of the spreading of what he was supposed to be about. Listen, as a church, I want us to get this. When we talk through these ideas, like, like I, I want us leaving here. I want us pumped up, man. I want us excited about what's happening. But if we leave here and all we ever do is talk about our methods, there's no power in that. Like, I love our methods. But if all we ever do is talk about our methods and our message, then our methods get in the way of the message. If we leave here and say, man, I, I love the fact that the music's really, really good. I mean, did you hear the lightning in the middle of the set? Like, that was crazy. And, and I'm not, like, I love those things. It's okay to talk about those things. But there's not power in those things. If we leave here and say, well, man, this message series is it's really relevant. I understand it. That's awesome. I'm glad you like it. But there's not power in the band. There's not power in the communicator. There's power in the message that Jesus is alive. And so because of that, we leave here not just talking about, man, our Sam and Kids area, our awesome youth ministry, not just talking about those things. I hope and pray all those things are true. But if our methods get in the way of our message, there's no power. While we talk about that, I guess share one final thing. As we talk about this idea of being distracted and, and disconnected. I think this is especially true of, of people that are millennial generation or younger, which I know we have a lot of people in both services that that uh, 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 describes, but, but I think it's probably true of most of us. You see, I've had a number of conversations, and, and in particular, I, I was a youth pastor for a long time, and, and so I, I still have a lot of kids who grew up in our youth groups that are now getting into their 20s and into their 30s, which means I'm getting really, really old real quickly. Um, but I have these conversations with Millennial generation and then kind of generations that are, that are kind of following it. And what I hear over and over, and I think it kind of describes their generation, but not just their generation, is, is a little bit troubling. You see, there's 4.7 billion people in our world. And when I talk to a lot of people of younger generations, they have a tendency to say this. I have no friends. 4.7 billion people in the world. And I can't find one person that I trust. One person that I can count on. At those moments we want to hold our spouse tight and say, at least I got this person, and that's powerful. They should be our best friends. But there should also be people around us. When the Bible says, iron, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. There should be people in our life that, man, when things are down, I know that I can count on them. I'm talking about the people that if, if I'm stuck in Georgia, it's the middle of the night and my car breaks down, I'll call them in Polk County. And they'll get up at midnight and drive to Georgia to make sure I'm safe. And we say, well, I, I want to have those type of friendships. And I think most of us would say, yeah, like I aspire towards that. I grew up in a generation that we valued friendship so much 
that they made a TV show all about friends. And we all want to have those type of relationships, man. I want to be able to hang out and, and have those conversations. And, and then life gets busy, and then you throw kids in the mix. And, and before we know it, some of those friends have, have spread out. And we say, we've not, we've not really replaced them. I still value those friendships. But I'm not willing to put in the work and the investment and time to build those friendships up. You see, in our culture, it's a lot less energy-consuming for me to watch a three-minute YouTube video and get sucked into that world of watching video after video. But it's a lot less like energy-consuming for me to watch a video than it is for me to go and have coffee with my friend that is struggling. It's a lot easier for me to scroll through Facebook and get updates from my high school friends that I haven't seen in 20 years than it is for me to go down the road and talk to my neighbor who's sick with cancer. It's a lot easier in this world for me to send a text message that really doesn't take a lot of energy on my part emotionally. It's a lot easier to shoot off a text message than it is for me to meet eyeball to eyeball and ask you, how are you really doing? Because if I ask you that question over text message, if I say, hey, how are you doing 100% of the time, the answer is going to be good. But if I meet with you face to face and I see what's actually going on, it gets messy. And I don't like messy. I like things to be neat and tidy. And so I go over to my world and I hang out with the people that talk like me and look like me and act like me and say, man, everything's all right. And I'm never coming to the middle ground that we talked about last week. I'm never leaving my corner and coming to a dangerous middle ground. That's why when it says over in the Proverbs, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. See, every one of us wants friends. We still want to work on the friendship. To befriend someone, you have to be willing to be friends. Like it just kind of makes sense. I want, I want the outcome. I want the product. I want to have a, a friend that it takes a, a lifetime to build, but I don't want to put the effort into getting there. I just want it magically to happen. To befriend someone, we have to be willing to be friends. And sometimes for us to have the greatest effect of this, that means being friends with people that don't exactly look like us, don't come from the same upbringing. Maybe, like Jesus, they don't even believe the same things or worship the same way. But Jesus says, it's through them that I'm going to start to spread this message. So we said this last week. The message, the, the movement of Christianity spread in a powerful way. Not because the disciples were incredibly intelligent people. Not because they were particularly powerful or because they had great bands. Because they didn't. The power of Christianity was found in two things. The message of the resurrection and the challenge Jesus had to say to go and love better than everybody else is in the world today. If we want the message, the movement of Christianity to spread right here, 
It doesn't come in, in the, the power of our band or the power of our speakers or our kids' ministry or our youth ministry or the people back in the booth. Or You could have the nicest and friendliest guest service team in the world. There's no power in that. There's power in Jesus and his call for us to love everyone better than everybody else. Let's pray together. Father, we are living in a world that is increasingly diverse. It's increasingly, uh, just, just in, in, in terms of the overall division that we're dealing with, God, is increasingly divided. It's distracted, it's disconnected. God, I can send a text message today to a friend living on the other side of the world, and in less than a second, he receives that message. In many ways, we're more connected now than we've ever been. But when it comes to real relationships, being able to have an honest conversation, being able to count on people around us, we're maybe more disconnected than we've ever been. God, we're disconnected from each other. We're not living out your command to love people. And God, I believe just my observation is that as a people today, we're more disconnected from you than we've ever been. We're distracted. We're, there's so much stuff that's going on in our life. But sometimes we don't give you the time that you deserve. God, I don't know, maybe there's someone here this morning who says, I've never even begun, begun a relationship with God before. I don't know what that looks like. We believe fully that if, if we follow Jesus, that he makes our lives better. But he also makes us better at life. That he comes to bring freedom, to bring joy into our life. That that's why he died, was to give those things to us, to make our lives better. But that also as he calls us to a better life, to love like nobody else loves, that Jesus comes to make our lives better and to make us better at life. So if there's someone this morning, God, that doesn't know you, I pray that even now, in this moment, they'd call upon Jesus to be their Savior, to be their Lord. God, for those of us who say, that's where I've been for a while, but my love has been hot and cold. I've I found myself gravitating back towards my corner of the world. And my message has started to lose its influence. My methods have gotten in the way. God, I pray, give us that burden, that heart to follow Jesus' commands. To love the world as he loved us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.